Our culture has marginalized homosexuals, lesbians, and transgenders. We will discuss today what role the medical profession, among others, can play to deal with this ongoing discrimination. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. With me today is Hudson Taylor, founder and executive director of Athlete Li. He is also a three-time All-American wrestler at the University of Maryland and presently the wrestling coach at Columbia University. Thank you, Hudson, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. To begin with, could you describe your not-for-profit organization? Absolutely. Athlete Ally is a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating and empowering all members of the athletic community to champion respect and inclusion for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. We found this organization off the, the basic philosophy that there has never been a successful social justice movement for minority group without the support of the majority. So if we're going to seek meaningful change at our schools and our locker rooms, we're going to need allies to be standing up and speaking out and realizing the impact they can have on the lives of others. What form can homophobia take in schools and especially in the athletic field? Well, I think I have the opportunity to work with athletes at at all ages, at all levels of sport, whether that be middle school, high school, college, or, or professional athletes. And wherever I go, I always ask two questions. I say, how many of you in the last week have heard somebody say, that's so gay, which is frequently used as an insult. And about 98% of the hands go up. And I always followed up with a second question. Of those of you who heard that word used in the last week, how many of you heard someone speak out against it? And all the hands go down. So, you know, for me, I think it's more often than not in our communities what homophobia looks like or homophobic language looks like is anytime somebody uses the identity of a group of people to form the basis of an insult. In this case, it's the identity of the LGBT community. In other instances, it's obviously racist language, sexist language, ableist language. You know, they're, they're all different types of language that is used at our schools and our communities that makes people feel less than. I think that's, for me, the word choices of our students and athletes and, and all members of the community is one of the most important things that we need to start to change. In bullying, do you think students have made a connection between homophobic remarks and racial slurs, which have been around for so, so very long? I think we've started to see that. I mean, in 1990, the average age of a person coming out was 26. Today, that average age is 16. So your average high school student probably knows somebody who identifies as a member of the LGBT community. We've seen bullying on the rise. It was a few years ago when there was, I want to say, over 10 LGBT teens who committed suicide because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression, and how they were being treated because of it. So I think the awareness that this is an issue is very prevalent at the middle school, high school, and college level. What is not so clear is that people have a responsibility to do something about it. I think, you know, the challenge for us is how do we not be apathetic when that language is being used? And I think, unfortunately, more often than not, 
people still are passive bystanders rather than active upstanders. So you've used the word upstander, and it's one that I'm familiar with. I know that recently you spoke at the Illinois Holocaust Museum to 7th and 8th graders. Now, one would not necessarily make a connection between genocide and the Holocaust, but you obviously have reached out into this area. What, what led this motivation on your part? The museum, I think, focused very clearly on, on propaganda and hate speech. There's a fantastic exhibit looking at how Hitler and the Nazi Party used propaganda and hate speech to dehumanize a group of people. And that's obviously the most extreme example of what can happen when we're not paying attention to language and how we speak to and about a group of people. And so when we look at today's climate and today's culture, I think that there is a very clear parallel in that you have a group of people that in many communities is not being treated the way that they want to be treated, whether that be from the policies that govern them or that be the attitudes of their peers or the words of their friends. So, you know, I think it's really just how do we make sure that future generations don't have to know about genocide from firsthand experience, but are actively trying to make the world a better, kinder, more inclusive space so that genocide is a thing of the past. You've mentioned that the age of the gay community coming out is much younger. Do you think that the recent gay professional athletes, and now college athletes, that have come out is going to change and make a difference? Absolutely. I think that context is really important in all of this, both from the allies' perspective and from the perspective of LGBT youth. When somebody comes out, it serves as a catalyst. When somebody comes out, myself as a straight athlete, I say, wow, why didn't they feel comfortable coming out sooner? Maybe I should have been better. Maybe I should have been more conscious of my words sooner because that potentially could have negatively impacted their experience. On the other side, from the perspective of a closeted kid, when they see a professional athlete come out, it serves as kind of proof positive that they can be themselves and compete in athletics at the most elite level, free from persecution or discrimination. So I think that athletes have a tremendous amount of cultural capital. You go to any high school or middle school in the country, the hallways are lined with sports trophies. Oftentimes, the captain of the basketball or football team probably is a pretty popular person. So I think sport has a tremendous ability to change culture, to change hearts and minds, especially looking at, you know, Jackie Robinson and the legacy that he laid for this country. So I think that trailblazers like Jason Collins, Brittany Griner, Robbie Rogers, and Michael Sam are going to change the face of sports forever. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining me today is Hudson Taylor, founder and executive director of Athlete LA. Many in the LGBT are young adults and just beginning to struggle with their sexual orientation. It troubles me because where do they go for support? Where do they go to talk to somebody in a safe environment? It's a real challenge because not every community has the same level of resources. You know, there are obviously lots of communities and states that are being very proactive either about their bullying laws or providing services 
specifically to LGBT youth. But it continues, I think, to be a challenge. A great organization is Trevor Project. They have a 24-hour hotline where if there is a student in need and who wants to talk, whether it be about coming out or whether they're being bullied because of their sexual orientation, they provide those services there. I would also say that organizations like GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, they have gay-straight alliances at a lot of high schools and a lot of communities, as well as PFLAG, Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbian and Gays. They have a lot of chapters around the country. So I would say plugging into those organizations and those networks or offering somebody comes to you looking for support, directing them towards those organizations because they're a fantastic resource. You know, our audience is 90% doctors, and so I'm not going to let them off the hook, and I include myself in this group. What can doctors do to listen, to be supportive, to be aware when they have a patient that may be struggling with this issue? How do you engage with them? Because very often, to be honest, this issue is often ignored or glossed over because of maybe even embarrassment by our doctors who really, many of whom are from a different generation. The challenge is how do we be explicit about our commitment to inclusion? And for me and from a doctor's perspective, I think the one thing that coaches are very much guilty of this, I've been very much guilty of this, assuming straightness where we shouldn't. So in our interactions with individuals, if we assume straightness right from the get-go, it puts up a barrier for how a member of the LGBT community feels like they can talk about their experience, talk about what they're going through. For instance, I love my coaches, like a huge mentor and father figure, but it was clear to me that I could talk to my coaches if I had an issue with a girlfriend. It was not clear to me that I could talk to my coaches if I had an issue with a boyfriend. So I think as you see patients and as these conversations come up, it's just really important that we are explicit about not making assumptions about how a person identifies. Because I think that's step one, stage one. And if we do that right, I think people will feel really comfortable engaging in the kind of conversations that will be most beneficial to them and enable you to do their job as best they can. Well, just to shift the focus, it was not uncommon in my practice, I was an internist, to find out that my patients had children who were gay. This subject was never dealt with other than, oh, on to the next thing. How's your blood pressure? You know, how's your diabetes? Is this an opportunity to engage parents because they are struggling too? What advice can you give physicians who actually know that their patients have children and obviously there may be tension and conflict in the family over this? I think it's a difficult question because no two families are exactly alike what may be the, the right advice for one and the right conversation for one may not be appropriate or welcomed with another. I think a great thing for anyone is to be visible in your support. In the athletic world, you know, one of the things that I always tell coaches in athletic community they should do is put a safe space sticker on their door as a sign of visible support. And I think that whether it be a parent or a student or a young person coming through your doors, how can we show that visible support and openness and acceptance should they want to engage you in that conversation? If we charge forward in conversations that the person may not want to engage in, it may put them off or may make them feel uncomfortable. But if we can think about ways to show visibly that your office and your practice is a safe and welcoming place, 
I think those conversations will then naturally unfold. In terms of services or direction for parents, there's a few organizations that I think do work in this space. I would say PFLAG is one to check out. I mean, they're very family-focused with a lot of networks and groups that hopefully will help anybody who would want to talk about what they're going through. Related, the gay and lesbian community are now becoming parents and raising children, and there's good evidence that they make great parents. Is there something that our community should do to educate parents to these gay and lesbian parents and also something that we can do to protect their children from bullying and discrimination that be going on in playgrounds? tough. I mean, I, th- I think times are changing. I think that the climate is evolving to a place where kids are growing up where they have friends whose parents happen to be the same sex. It's becoming less and less of a big deal. One of our athlete ally ambassadors, his name's Kenneth Fareed, He's a NBA player for the Denver Nuggets. You know, he has two moms. Now, that was really his impetus for speaking out as an ally and you know, joining this cause. And so I think that the challenge is not to focus on the kid who has two moms or two dads, or not to focus on what the language is that we should or should use, but perhaps center our efforts on redefining our standards of conduct, redefining how we expect each other to treat other people. If we redefine interactions, whether it be talking about parents, what goes on in the classroom, I think that a lot of the issues that continue to degrade and divide and marginalize the experience of LGBT people will soon be a thing of the past. So for me, I guess it's about redefinition and about understanding everyone's role in creating an inclusive environment, regardless of whether or not they have two moms or two dads. I would also say that I think policy is really important. If a school or community has a strong non-discrimination policy that is inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity, I think that also helps to set a standard for how people expect to be treated. I think in closing, it's what you've said is times are changing and changing rapidly. When I look back on the homophobic history of the medical field, being gay was a real detriment to getting into medical school in the 1980s. And certainly, you were discouraged from going into pediatrics or psychiatry if you were gay. That is not the case in recent surveys taken as recently as, say, 2007. So times are changing, and we have to look back at really, most recently, the Human Rights Watch published a quote that says, quote, when you are scared, especially of something you actually know nothing about, hatred is a natural reaction. And I think your organization is stepping up and stepping forward to deal with this hatred, which fortunately is vanishing very, very fast as far as a cultural change in our country. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard, and if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.